Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast from Poets and Quants. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants with my co-host Maria Wickvilla from Applicant Lab and Caroline Diorty Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCOD. We want to talk today about deferred MBA admission programs. They have certainly become a lot more popular and a lot of schools have launched them in the last three to five years. The idea of a deferred MBA admissions program is simple. As an undergraduate student, usually a rising junior or senior, you can apply for admission to an elite MBA program, get in, and then go off and do work for two to three to four years, knowing that you have an admit in your pocket. And the one big advantage of it is that big marathon to get into an elite MBA program is over. And the research does show that if you take the GMAT or the GRE while an undergrad, you will perform better automatically because you're so well-practiced at taking tests. So there is that advantage as well. Let's open this up. And we actually, what's interesting is that the 2 plus 2 program at Harvard Business School was one of the original deferred admit programs. And Maria had been in and around the admissions office when that was first created at Harvard. Maria, what do you remember from those days? Yeah, sure. So I think 2 plus 2 officially launched somewhere around 2007. And I was attending HBS from 2003 to 2005. And my involvement with volunteering for the admissions office was through LASSO, which is Latino Student Organization. And so we were having discussions along with our our counterparts in ASU, which is the African-American student organization, about like, what could we be doing to increase the pipeline? Because we, we as students would go to the admissions office and say, look, there aren't enough of us here. (laughs) What gives? For sure. They would say, well, (laughs) there still aren't. Yes. But they would basically say, and this is really valid. They're like, but there isn't enough pipeline. Like there are not enough people are applying who meet the qualifications. So for us, a big discussion was how do we increase the pipeline? And so at that point, they had been talking about two plus two because one of the problems, quote unquote, that we were encountering was that a lot of people in their senior year of college would go to, say, law school or public policy school or maybe even medical school because they would prefer to have the certainty of, okay, like I know what my path is going to be, right? After college, I'm going to law school and it's absolutely guaranteed that my career will then be that of a lawyer. Versus the MBA program, where if you decide to apply in three to five years, you might get in, you might not get in. It, it's it was sort of such a such an uncertain thing, and so a big a big idea around it was we need to get in front of these kids early enough to first of all let them know that the MBA is a viable path, and then it became clear that okay. If you want us, you you guys have to hold up your end of the bargain. If you want us to commit to you, you need to start committing to us a little bit earlier. And so I think that was part of the discussion around, okay, well, let's let's start giving people that acceptance now so they know where, where they will be in three to five years, but not enroll them right away because I think pretty much everyone accepts that having some work experience prior to enrolling in business school is very valuable. So the two plus two program kind of came out of that. And I think that the idea was, look, absolute worst case, if HBS starts promoting this program, even if no one ends up signing up for it, at least we're marketing the idea of the MBA degree to people who otherwise might not be thinking about it. 
And Maria, wasn't there some concern about women as well? Because I know one often cited reason for why business schools trail law schools in the percentages of women enrolled is because you can go direct to law school uh, from your undergraduate year, where typically in an MBA program, you need three to five years of experience at these elite levels. And there was a belief that many women were wanting to get their education out of the way and were hesitant about having to wait three to five years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know, fertility is a real issue. And, you know, if, if you, you know, if you, if you, the longer you wait to start your career, the more probability is that you may have some sort of issue with that. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to quote unquote, start your career right out of law school, three years after graduating versus start your career out of business school, say seven years after graduating, that's going to, you know, put some pressure on these timelines. And so if you, let's say you're looking to have children by, I'm going to put an age out there, 35. If you go to law school, then you're sort of 10 years into your career at that point. Hopefully you're pretty senior. Hopefully you can then call the shots a little, one hopes not always happen. It doesn't always happen, but at least you could say, Hey, I'm a partner now, or, you know, I'm going to take three months off versus if you're, you know, if you're significantly behind by several years in, let's say consulting or banking, you may not have that amount of pull. Yeah. And even today, the school is pretty open about giving preference to sort of high potential individuals who meet certain characteristics, like from a lower socioeconomic background, you might be first gen in college, lower income family background or less family exposure to graduate school, uh, or you're going into a technically demanding role, you're pursuing entrepreneurship, or you're planning to work in an operating company, particularly in tech, because one of the things that the Harvard program seems to favor our STEM grads because a high percentage of uh, people with STEM, STEM undergraduate degrees tend to get in. 29% of the, of the people who Harvard admits under its 2 plus 2 program have engineering backgrounds. Another 29% majored in math or physical sciences. And just to give a sense of the size of this program now at Harvard alone, you know, last year, almost 1,600 people applied under the 2 plus 2 program. 129 of them were accepted. And uh, Caroline, we've seen so many other schools jump on this bandwagon. Yale has the Silver Scholars program. Uh, Wharton, which initially opened it only to their undergraduates, has now opened it to, to everybody. Chicago Booth, UVA Darden has joined on board. Are there European schools that have deferred MBA admission programs? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Not that I'm aware of. Um, Partly, it's more challenging, I think, for the international schools because the average age is often a little bit older. So two years of work experience is very little and, and probably a bit too little in most cases, for example, for students going into a program like INSEAD, where the average work experience is about five and a half years. So the school isn't desperately keen to have more students coming in with, with just two years work experience. Yeah, that makes sense because all the European programs tend to skew a little bit older in their enrollments, right? Yes. But what the school does do, for example, is if someone if someone applies very early, so they apply straight out of college and they apply anyway, and, and the school can see that they've got a fantastic profile and they've got great academics and they've got good extracurriculars and they've demonstrated leadership during their time in undergrad, what they will often do is say, we can't accept you now 
but please come back to us in one year or come back to us in two years. And they'll specify that. And there's a very high likelihood then if the candidate does follow up, that then they will come to an interview stage. And, you know, once you get to interview, then you've got a good chance of getting admitted. So so they do send out encouraging signals to people who apply at a very early stage, but they don't have sort of such a structured program as these two plus two programs in, in the U.S. Right. So what, what are the kinds of things that people who want to apply to a deferred admission program uh, bear in mind? Well, I think that the schools are looking for you know, really strong evidence of academic skills. So the candidates who get in are typically academic high flyers, right? They've got a fantastic GPA, you know, very impressive transcript. They've got strong quantitative skills. And, you know, as you said, it's often easier to take the GMAT when you're still in college or, or just coming out of college. So, so they'll often do very, very well on, on, the, on the GMAT. So, you know, really stellar academic credentials, I think, are important. And then the schools are looking for, you know, the impact you've had outside of your academic experience. So how have you got involved in your, in your college community have you demonstrated leadership? What have you got? You know, what, what have you brought to your community? And they want to see some, you know, significant evidence of engagement, of commitment, of, um, of impact over time. And it doesn't have to be anything in particular. You know, it doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be in the arts. You know, it could be there are lots of different things that it could be. But it's, it's really about showing that you've got, you've got some significant achievements under your belt because the school obviously can't evaluate your professional experience given that you know, perhaps you have one or two internships, but you don't have the substantial professional experience that candidates who are applying later on will have. So they'll spend a lot of time looking at those extracurriculars. Right. And actually, your colleague, Judith, uh, recently penned an article on this for Poets and Quants, right? That's right. Yeah how to secure deferred MBA admissions at the top eight programs. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's we're seeing a lot more candidates who are interested in this as, as the programs have um, expanded, as more and more schools are offering these programs. We've definitely seen an uptick in interest from candidates, and we have more and more clients who are working with us on applications for deferred admissions. And, you know, it, it's it's a great opportunity for for college seniors, I mean, why not apply? There's no, there's no downside. You know, the the upside is fantastic, right? You secure your place at a top business school for two years down the line. What a wonderful way to start! You know, leave your undergrad and enter the workforce, knowing that two years down the line you're heading off to Stanford or Harvard or Wharton or one of these wonderful programs. That's a fantastic position to be in. And if you don't get in, that's fine. The admissions committee are not going to hold it against you. In fact, quite to the contrary, they'll take it as, you know, an early sign of interest and motivation. And if you come back in a couple of years, you know, they will take that into account that it's not something, not something that you've just decided on a whim to apply, but in fact, you signaled your, your interest in coming to the school and your, your, you know, your determination to pursue an MBA two or three years ago. So you look like a very credible candidate later on. So there really is no downside to applying. The other advantage, I think, is that it gives you the flexibility to do something unique or different. You know, when, you, when you're applying as a normal MBA applicant, every part of your history counts, meaning who employed you, 
What did you do? Did you pass through a selective hiring screen at an employer that we respect and admire, right? Hmm. But when you get into a deferred MBA admission program, once in, you can choose any path and you don't have to worry about carefully constructing your employer history for the benefit of an elite MBA program. And in fact, I I know uh, that Harvard in their two plus two interviews uh, asked candidates, well, if we accept you, how might your career plans change before you come and get your MBA? And they like to hear people say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do my four years at uh, Goldman or McKinsey. I'm going to do two years and then I'm going to do something really unique and different. I might try a startup. Mm-hmm. I might do uh, go into an emerging company or industry. They like to hear that uh, because they really do believe that once you've been admitted, it allows you to be much more experimental in your career choice choices before you come to school. And I think that's a sort of a a hidden benefit of many of these deferred admission programs, because you're going to be evaluated not on who you're going to work for, but on your academic record, your extracurriculars, sure, your internships uh, internships that you have uh, during your undergraduate years. But that big boogaboo of where did you work? What did you do? Did you get promoted? Did you have important assignments? Did you work in more than one elite place that was highly selective? That gets wiped off the application form, which is a wonderful benefit for people who know that this is what they want to do. Now, Maria, what's what's your sense of these programs? Are you seeing more interest in them? I am seeing a tremendous amount of interest in them. I think Because as Caroline said, there's no risk to applying. So you might as well put your hat, throw your hat in the ring and see what happens. So I, yeah, I think that the word is getting out. I think as the program, the number of programs expand, that's also helping. I think it's it's becoming sort of a bit of a talent arms race where now if like the first, the top sort of three to five schools are accepting people early, then the other schools are like, well, now we have to do it too, because exactly. now we're going to start losing the talent. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think one little side note, I would say you were to your comment about, you know, if you if you get in, will you take bigger risks in your career? I think in some cases it might be for some candidates, actually uh, the causality might be reversed where I think that they're looking for people who are already planning to take a risk in their career and basically say to them, look, we're so impressed with you right now that we're going to let you in later. And we're, you know, we're totally fine with you starting that movie studio and failing um, because that person is more interesting versus if somebody is going to McKinsey or Goldman, sure, I might want to get you first just so one of my competitors doesn't get you, but also like, <laughs> eh, you'll be back, right? <laughs> if right. I could sing, I would sing like King George right now from Hamilton. Like, you'll be back. Yeah. You know you're going to be back. So <laughs> what's the hurry? I don't need to put a ring on it now because, you know, I know you'll be back. So I, th- I think that uh, I would also tell people if, if for whatever reason you don't get in now, like, don't be, don't despair. <laughs> It's not, I've worked with many people who applied to two plus two, didn't get in, and then eventually get into one of these top programs. Um, are the, are the admission right? rates for deferred MBA admission programs very different from the overall admission rates, or are they roughly the same? I think they're a little bit lower uh-huh. because I, th- I think that it's like Caroline said, you've got a lot less data to go on when you're evaluating yes. someone. Um, yeah. And so, you know, between that and between a number of applicants, being people that I know I'll see later, I would, you know, I think it would be, it would, it would, it takes sort of a remarkable person 
it would it would take a remarkable person for me to pull the trigger like that. Now, who shouldn't apply uh, under deferred admission? Well, if your undergrad track record isn't isn't stellar, then now is probably not the right time to apply, right? Because because so much more weight is being put on what you've done during your college years versus when you're applying later on. So if you haven't been a high performer for the past few years, then it's better to wait and prove yourself in your professional career before applying. And, and you know, that may be the case for, for many people who, um, you know, don't have quite the right profile when they're coming out of college. And that could be for a you know, multitude of reasons, but they really excel when they get into the workplace and, um, and, and come back in two or three or four years with some very impressive achievements under their belt. So the bar is very high for the deferred admissions programs, for sure. Yeah, I think the real good thing is, as you pointed out, it's not going to hurt you if you reapply later if you don't get in. And in fact, it's an indicator that you're, you had this direction. This was a desire that you held very early on. You know this is what you want. And the school can bank on that certainty and knowing that you're going to be fully dedicated to the MBA program and that this is not a whim. Mm. And then the other benefit, obviously, is getting the, the darn standardized test out of the way when you're in, a, in the best position to do well on it. And let's face it, usually in most undergraduate programs, senior year is a great year. You know, you've you figured it all out. You know what professors to take. Usually your requirements for whatever major you have are completed or near completion. So you tend to have a little bit more time to study for the, a standardized test in that environment and, and to prepare for some of these applications. I think it's a really good thing. Now, should you be doing this in your junior year as you rise to senior year, or should you be doing this in your senior year? I think it depends on what your schedule is going to be like. Probably senior year would be you'd have a bit more free time. If you did, if you're doing one of the typical pre-business school type of routes, uh, if you did that uh, that pre that summer internship at a, a bank or an investment uh, company or a consulting firm, then at least at the end of that junior summer, you hopefully have a return offer. So then you don't have to worry about recruiting. So I would say to look at it uh, in senior senior year, I think, unless you've got like a big chunk of time that summer before junior before senior year where you're like, yeah, I'll just study for the GMAT. I wanted to add one more, uh, a third benefit to applying now, even if you are a weak candidate. I, one of the things I like to tell people is like, look, the more you know about what admissions officers are looking for now, even if you are not that person now, if you learn what they're looking for, then you can try to craft your career and your extracurricular leadership over the next three to five years to eventually become that person. So I think that I, I almost prefer that in a way. So it, it might even be a wake up call, right? If somebody doesn't have very good grades, they weren't really all that involved. They just played a lot of Xbox and watched a lot of Netflix and didn't really do a whole lot and they apply to the deferred programs, at least by looking into the programs, they start to realize like, oh my gosh, like this is what I should have been doing all along too late now. But maybe now once I graduate, I can start, you know, putting things in gear. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there you have it. If you are a junior or senior in college and you are thinking about someday getting an MBA, we all agree you should apply now you, uh, when you're going to be advantaged and go for it. And there's more of these programs available. You know, uh, the schools are in hot competition with each other. And the schools that don't have these programs are likely to 
to have them soon. The other big news this past week is in sort of the online MBA market. And, you know, this is a market that's very different than what we normally talk about in, when we speak about elite MBA programs that are either two or one years spent on a, a campus. But the news is that ESMT Berlin, which is one of a, it's a significant European business school in Germany, is launching an online MBA program at an incredibly low price point. They're going to market at 25,000 euros, which is roughly $30,000. That's a truly disruptive price. It's less than half the cost of the online MBA program at IE Business School in Spain, which was the first European school to have an online MBA. These programs are exploding in growth. Boston University, which launched also another disruptive MBA online in the fall of last year at a price point of only $24,000, already has enrolled over 800 students in it, even though it's less than a year old. The fastest growing MBA in the world has been the online MBA program at uh, the Gies College of Business at the University of Illinois, which has another disruptive price of $22,000. And although launched in 2016, it now has more than 4,000 enrolled students in it uh, and has graduated over 1,000 already. Do you, do you think other European schools are going to join in this? I mean, right now we have the major players are IE, Warwick, Imperial, and now ESMT Berlin. Do you think at say or IESE or some of the other schools are going to get into the online game, Caroline? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, for the time being, it's not a route that the top schools are taking. I guess that could change given how everything has been accelerated over the past 12 months and, and everyone has got to grips with teaching online in a way that they had not done before. So it may seem may seem like you know a, a more achievable goal than it and and less work to launch something like that than it would otherwise have been. I would have thought that perhaps the top schools, the international schools might first try sort of more hybrid options rather than purely online because it's a very different experience, I think yes. still doing online versus in person and they don't want to dilute the brand. Um, that would you know, have all sorts of implications, um, not least for the alumni community. And the alumni community have huge sense of ownership um, in, 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 the, sure. in the school. So, so the schools have to tread a little bit carefully here. But more hybrid teaching sort of integrated into full-time options or you know, modular MBAs, executive MBAs, I think are likely, you know, that, that's probably a road that they will continue to to explore and i'm sure online teaching will become the norm in in sort of integrated into some of the existing offerings yeah and that's and that's true in the u.s market obviously harvard stanford wharton columbia kellogg chicago booth mit do not have online mba programs and have no plans to pursue them the highest ranked schools in the u.s with online options and they are they do tend to be hybrid are carnegie mellon University of Michigan, UNC at Chapel Hill, and Indiana University. And they all of these either require some set of on-campus sessions or offer them at least along with uh, some immersions. So it's often, you know, and this is true overall, I think in business education, you find that more innovation is occurring at, you know, schools that are not at the tippy-tippy top 
than schools that have big brands and big reputations and big resources. And the SMT Berlin program is kind of fascinating, I would say, because it's, it's decided not to just offer an MBA that it already offers, meaning tossing its, its on-campus program online, but redesigning the MBA to be taught in themes, as the Boston University one is, offering it in a stackable level where you can basically buy a module at a time and not complete the program. The electives that are being offered are not only from the school, but they're tapping into the global network of business schools that was established by Yale School of Management a few years ago so that you could actually take one of the courses from those 30-some partner schools as electives. Uh, Another interesting feature of the program is its price. I mentioned before, it's only 25,000 euros or $30,000. But believe it or not, the Germans have figured out American capitalism because they're offering a 2,000 euro discount if you apply early and another 10% discount off the total tuition bill if you, in fact, pay uh, before the program starts which is a feature I've never heard about from any business school anywhere. Uh, that's a legit business school, that is. Sure, University of Phoenix and places like that might do things like that. But generally, you know, legitimate academic institutions don't offer sure. uh, so blatantly a discount on a program. Uh, I think that it's, it's a fascinating approach. And uh, I think it's going to get a lot of attention in Europe. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about the price point is, you know, by offering these low price points on an MBA at Boston University and the University of Illinois, they've been able to attract a sizable number of international students that online MBA programs tend not to attract. Uh, Most people go to an online MBA, live within a 150-mile radius of the actual school. It's something like 28 to 30% of the students in the Boston program are international. And Illinois has been successful at attracting people all over the world to its $22,000 program. So when you get at these price points and you have a school that's ranked by the Financial Times or U.S. News and World Report, you can draw a much more diverse and global crowd, which makes the MBA more interesting, frankly, and I think more valuable because you're going to be meeting people with a lot of diverse points of view. So there you have it. Anything else new from your end, Maria and Caroline, with your applicants? Are they are they hearing back? Are they getting stuck on wait lists? Are they getting rejected? What's the story out there? Yeah, Some think- admissions coming in. Oh, go ahead, Maria. I was just going to say, I think we're sort of still in the throes of interviews. So the schools where they, if they don't invite you to interview, you're rejected, then yes, people already know from those schools that they're not getting in. But I think some other schools that just have rolling interview invites, those are still coming out little by little. And I think right now everyone's an interview and wait period. Yeah, Yeah, which is an anxiety-filled period to be in. And then we have the um, INSEAD round one deadline, (laughs) Uh which has been keeping me busy um, for the the January entry. Um, For the January intake, right, which... Is a January intake smaller or larger? It's the same. It is. Okay. It's, it's typically the same size. Well, this year it was larger because they um, compensated for the fact that they had a smaller intake for the fall entry last year. 
but normally it's about 500 students starting in January and 500 students starting in um, September. Right. And of course, at Harvard, it's going to be larger as well. It's going to be, um, instead of about 930, it'll be over a little bit over 1,000 because Harvard as well entered a much smaller class, smallest class in decades uh, last fall by being very generous with deferments to students who were impacted by the pandemic. So there you have it, deferred MBA admissions, online MBAs, and everyone out there waiting for an answer if they haven't got one already. Hmm. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Caroline and Maria, thank you once again. And for all of you out there who are on pins and needles over those interviews or waiting for a final decision, good luck to you. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quads. You've been listening to our weekly podcast, Business Casual. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.